Right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word uh, that you've spoken with clarity and authority and with all truthfulness and that uh, you provide all in your word that we need for uh, life and godliness uh, to uh, know, know the gospel, to know the way of salvation and to know how uh, by, by your spirit and uh, in your son that we can live a life that's well-pleasing to you. And I pray that you'd conform us to his likeness and that uh, you'd cause us to uh, walk in faith and uh, trust in you and in your son. And uh, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, let's open up to go to Exodus 19, and then we'll be going into Numbers, uh, the end of chapter 10. We just got out of uh, Exodus chapter 18, and there we came to the end of their first stretch through the wilderness to Sinai, uh, coming out of the Exodus, coming out of Egypt, and crossing uh, through the, the sea. And we saw God's uh, provision for the people, uh, but also testing them along the way. And the people uh, began to, to grumble and uh, rebel along the way, but God provided uh, anyway for the people and uh, we just finished seeing uh, Moses uh, appointment as well his his office his role responsibility as a judge over the people of Israel and Jethro's wise godly advice uh, for Moses for the people uh, to appoint judges who would fear Yahweh uh, who would uh, tremble at his his word uh, and Moses teaching them they could then uh, teach uh, teach the, the people. And so let's just look at the last couple verses of chapter 18, uh, verse 24. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. And so Jethro, priest of Midian, now priest priest of the Most High, like like Melchizedek, goes back to Midian, but as a believer, and so. Uh, they needed a wise, God-fearing Midianite priest uh, to give them some, some advice. And uh, he's the one who comes and rejoices over all the good that God has done for this people, uh, this, uh, this complaining people. And so now they arrive at Sinai. I just want to see the start, start of this uh, because they're going to spend a year at Sinai and we're going to fast forward uh, Cross this to the end of their year as they then go to leave Sinai. But it's here that they came uh, to worship God. Uh, this was, I think, the first sign that God mentioned to Moses uh, that this shall be a sign uh, that I have sent you, that uh, when you come out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Uh, this is the very place he revealed himself in a theophany uh, in the, uh, the, the brush or the, the bush uh, in the burning flames uh, showing uh, God's uh, presence, a fire that uh, couldn't, couldn't be uh, con consumed or, or extinguished. Uh, and he appeared kind of like that to, to Abraham even when he was making the, the covenant uh, where he talks, talks about flame and smoke uh, passing through uh, the, the carcasses. And so now uh, they come here to worship God and be constituted uh, as a, a people, uh, to be a blessing to all nations. So, uh, chapter 19, verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. 
they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. Yahweh called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves, and now here, here uh, he, he highlights this because this is going to be particularly important for the context, for who these people are, uh, for setting up the, the covenant uh, that he's going to give them as uh, their lawgiver, as their king, as their redeemer. And so some talk about with uh, suzerainty uh, treaties uh, where you, you have uh, a vassal and a king who gives, gives a, a law uh, to, to the people uh, to, uh, to, to bind them uh, and they come under his obligation. Uh, here this sets up uh, the, the context for this. So some of this talk about even as kind of like almost a, a prologue or setting for the people to understand the, the revelation that God's going to give, the law that he's going to uh, give. So he gives the, the context. So uh, Yahweh called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. So instead of just saying it, he says, thus you shall say uh, to the house uh, of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. Here it is. Uh, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So he frames it there. Uh, speaking about his great deliverance, uh, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself, to the mountain, uh, even to the, the mountain where he was standing and he told Moses to take the staff and the elders and stand before the rock to, to strike it uh, in the wilderness. He said that he was standing on, on the mountain, on Mount Horeb, on Mount Sinai. So God has brought them to himself where he'll reveal uh, himself uh, to them. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, he is talking about testing uh, the, the people to see if they would believe, if they would fear him, if they would obey uh, as they came out of the uh, Egypt, out of the, through the sea, into the wilderness, uh, the end of uh, chapter, chapter 15. Uh, so therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure, treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so that's the purpose of Israel, uh, to be constituted as God's treasured possession, as a special, set-apart, holy people consecrated unto him, uh, to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation in the midst of the earth that God owns. He owns it all. Uh, and in Leviticus, there's it's really cool as you get to the end of Leviticus, and there, there are other places that this comes up, but you start working to the last chapters and he's getting into like the, the blessings and uh, the, the cursings. He speaks about like on the, the year of uh, Jubilee, they were to set all of their brothers free. Uh, they were they're all to, to go free, uh, to, to go back uh, to their land, uh, to their father's houses, uh, because the people are mine. They belong to me. Uh, and that the land, any land that was uh, purchased or ransomed uh, because maybe someone couldn't afford it, they went into poverty or maybe a, part of a, a line 
uh, died out, and so they had to be uh, be ransomed uh, with within the clans, within the tribes, and the the land was to be released, and it was to be ransomed because the land is mine, <laughs> God says, uh, and so the uh, the the Levites are mine, the people are mine, the land is mine, all the earth is mine. They they all belong to Him. Uh, and everything in it. And so they were to be his treasured, special uh, possession, kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And so a kingdom with priests, with the Levites, with the the high priesthood through Aaron, uh, which would uh, later go through, I think I mixed them up when we were talking one night, through uh, Eliezer and his son Phinehas. Uh, God will make his covenant with Phinehas uh, toward the end of uh, Numbers. Uh, when there you have Midianites who, uh, along with some of the Moabites and such, uh, provoke them to rebel. Uh, and so you, you, have, you have a priesthood, you have Levites, you have a high priest, but the whole nation was to be a kingdom of priests. They were to sacrifice to God. They were to worship God. They were to give thanks to God. Uh, they were to minister uh, on, on behalf of all the peoples. They were, to make, they were to make God known to all of the peoples around them, all of the nations and, and people, just as Aaron uh, and the, their high priests would minister on their behalf. And so they were to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And that's very much true with, with all of the offices on some level uh, that we've been talking about. A lot of times people will say, well, they actually take it in the reverse order. It's normally, uh, they'll talk about uh, prophet, priest, king. But uh, the, the order, you also have judge uh, in Deuteronomy 17, 18, corporate offices, judge, priest, king, and prophet. Uh, in, in that order, and on some level, God's people and within the church you actually see that in Christ, uh, there's certain capacities to which uh, we reign with Christ, we'll judge with Christ. Uh, you can all prophesy one by one, you know, taking turns, uh, exhorting, giving timely application from, uh, from God's, God's word. We, we're all to give ourselves as a living and holy sacrifice to God uh, and to give sacrifices of uh, thanksgiving to God. And so it's very much true for, for Israel. Uh, later, even in Numbers, you'll have the people. I think it's after the, uh, the rebellion of uh, some of the... Is it from the, the, the Kohathites? Uh, where you, you have... I'm trying to think of the, the guy's name. Uh, Korah. Korah, yes. Korah, and it's one like Dothan or something like that. Uh, and Korah, Korah's Rebellion. Uh, thank you. Um, and, and, well, uh, the, people, uh, the people are holy too. You know, they can sacrifice and they can uh, stand before God, and not just Aaron and uh, Moses and, you know, his sons and such. And so they, they rebelled. I think it's even after that, or one of the rebellions, where they were all too... God uh, instituted, they were to make tassels on their robes. Uh, and is the priests that wore tassels on their robes. And so there were certain things that were restricted for, for the Levites, for Aaron and such, but they did. They, they, were, servants of, they were servants of God uh, and serving, uh, serving him, serving the, uh, the one true creator God. And so uh, this is critical for who they are as a people, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, his treasured uh, possession. This is his purpose for them to be a blessing uh, to all nations. And so, go ahead and flip to the end of Numbers 10. And so then, uh, he has Moses and the people, and they form the, the covenant. Uh, God speaks to them from the mountain with the, the fire and the smoke and lightning and thunder, uh, Theophany showing uh, his presence on the mountain before them. 
he speaks the Ten Commandments, or sometimes they're called the Ten Words. A lot of, a lot of times uh, Jewish people and such will talk about the Ten Words uh, because they're sometimes called the Ten Words or Ten Commandments. Uh, and gave the, the Book of the Covenant. Uh, and then uh, they took the contributions for the tabernacle. Uh, they formed the tabernacle. They're establishing the priesthood uh, all the way through Leviticus uh, throughout the year. They're establishing the, uh, the, the system with the tabernacle and the, the priests uh, to give sacrifices before God, being taught, instructed in the law, all of the, the laws and uh, the, the feasts and uh, the daily offerings, the weekly offerings, uh, the monthly new, new moons, uh, all of their feasts uh, throughout the year, like the, uh, the Passover at the beginning of the year, on the 14th, 11, Feast of Unleavened Bread, 14th through the 21st of the, the first month. Uh, they have like Pentecost and such, uh, and the seventh month, Day of Atonement, on the 10th the of, the, of the month, and uh, tabernacles. Uh, and so they come to the end of this year, and so this is establishing basically their worship, their service, their remembrance of what God had done for them in the wilderness, coming out of Egypt, uh, preserving them uh, throughout the year, making atonement and provision for them, uh, and living in, in tents and uh, coming through. And then they celebrated, I guess, the, the first Passover that looked back. So it's, kind of, it's the second Passover, but the, the first one that now looks back coming out of Egypt. And so here's the same people. They're establishing this because it's very important that they remember what God had done to save them, uh, to redeem them, and to provide uh, and bless them in the, the wilderness. And uh, they take a, a first census uh, at the, the beginning of Numbers, and they're preparing for how they're going to move out all of the tribes uh, in the, uh, the camps around the tabernacle. Uh, and by the end of Numbers, they'll take a second census because the first generation is going to die in the wilderness. They're not going to come out because they'll refuse to enter into the land and rebel against God. And so Numbers is all about these two generations. Uh, you start with the first and the first census, but besides Joshua and Caleb and their children, uh, whom you said would be a prey and spoil and booty uh, in the land uh, to these people, I'll appoint Joshua, he'll bring them in. And so you have one generation who died in unbelief leading up to the second. Moses encouraged Joshua for he'll lead the people into uh, the, the land. And uh, in this chapter, uh, he pointed the, the trumpets. I think they made two trumpets, and we were talking about uh, that a little bit. Uh, Nancy, you, you sent me a kind of a devotional talking about trumpets throughout, throughout Scripture and uh, even hearing the sounds of trumpets on the mountain and such with uh, the theophany from, from heaven, you know, from, from God. Uh, and they make uh, two trumpets that they were to... It gives them different instructions for how hard or long they blow the trumpets for each of the camps and the tribes to meet with God, all the people, just the elders, uh, setting out along their way. And then when there was war, blowing the trumpets so that God would... Now, he knew that, they, he knew that people were attacking him, but in blowing the trumpets, it was a signal uh, for, for God call, calling upon him uh, in his... Uh, is at least as uh, much and even more for, for the people as for, for God. It was a way to call upon God uh, so that he would remember them uh, and that they would uh, remember and trust in him, you know, in, in warfare and battle. And so, and yeah. Is there any place where it says that God's voice himself actually, it sounds like a trumpet? It seems like... Well, there, there, could, there could be... Uh, there could be some something like that you know somewhere the psalms or, or something you know if you have like a, a metaphor i think that they maybe mixed up uh where uh, they, they had a lot, a lot of good stuff in that devotional it was mostly you know spot on but looked like they were maybe mixing up that the word in hebrew kol yeah. it's 
they use a Spanish puro. We, we tend to glide our O's. So like as in uh, do, re, mi, fa, uh, pure, pure O, uh, cold, cold. Um, where we, we, we tend to go coal, <laughs> glide them. Uh, but uh, coal, it, it's, uh, it can be used for either, sometimes you have someone speaking, so there might be a human, as we'd say in English, voice, or sometimes it could be for just the noise that comes out of a trumpet. So we, you know, we, we use a couple different words like voice and noise. Uh, although even in music, sometimes they'll maybe talk about the voice of, you know, like maybe an instrument or something, but they have just the one word. And so then in the context, whether it's like a sound coming from maybe an inanimate object or, or from an animal or from an instrument, or if it's it, sometimes we not, might talk about the sound of someone's voice, you know, for fo focusing more on the sound. Uh, but maybe the, the content, you know, talk about like voices and such, they use the same word. And so I, I think they probably uh, mixed, uh, mixed those up. And so you maybe have translations that say the voice of the trumpets, <laughs> you know, we, we might say like sound of the trumpets, would maybe cause less confusion. All right, and so uh, here, uh, the, uh, all, all the clans set out uh, with, uh, just read uh, verse 25. Uh, then the standard of the camp of the people of Dan, acting as the rear guard of all the camps set out by their companies. And so Dan's the rear guard. Uh, all the tribes have set out, uh, followed by Dan. Uh, and over their company was uh, Ahiezer, uh, the son of Amishadai, and over the company of the tribe of the people of Asher uh, was Pagiel, uh, the son of Okram, and over the company of the tribe of the people of Naphtali was Ahira, the son of Enan. This was the order of the march of the people of Israel by their companies when they set out. And so just want to point out, Dan the rear guard, so now they, they all set out uh, and this kind of frames where we'll see uh, Hovav or Hobab, uh, the uh, son of Reuel, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. So here's Moses, Moses' brother-in-law. It's kind of going back before, uh, right before they got to Sinai, uh, you had uh, Jethro, and now you have his, uh, Jethro went back to his people. You have his son-in-law here uh, with, with them. And this will kind of set the context for their journey uh, into the wilderness. So verse 29. And Moses said to Hovav, uh, the son of Reuel, uh, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place of which Yahweh said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will do good to you. For Yahweh has promised good to Israel. But he said to him, I will not go, I will depart to my own land and to my kindred. And he said, please do not leave us for you know where we should camp in the wilderness and you will serve as eyes for us. And if you go with us, whatever good Yahweh will do to us, the same we will do to you. So they set out from the Mount of Yahweh, three days journey. And the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh went before them, three days journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of Yahweh was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp. And wherever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Yahweh, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Yahweh, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. And so, God, uh, the, the cloud, pillar of fire by night, a uh, cloud by day to give them shade, uh, to give them warmth and light by, by night. Uh, he was with them throughout uh, the wilderness. And so this is how it was. This is what was going on from the start of their journeys uh, to, uh, to the end uh, in the, the wilderness. And so let your enemies be scattered, Moses would call out, and let those who hate you flee before you. 
And then we rested, return Yahweh to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. And so they set out on a good note. Uh, and uh, one commentator is just even talking about with uh, Hovav going out. Uh, you know, uh, humanly speaking, you know, he, he'd, he, he knew the terrain, he knew the places, but ultimately you have God leading them through, uh, through the, the wilderness. And so you see some of both of that along the way. Uh, but also with uh, Hovav or Hobab, uh, modern Hebrew pronunciation, I think uh, Hovav, that here you have this uh, Midianite who's going along the way. In fact, he'll show up uh, some of his ancestors again, uh, the Kenites, who were of the Midianites, you know, maybe a clan, and they even end up living a little around the, the south, southwest of the, the Sea of Galilee, uh, west of the, uh, the Jordan uh, in that, that region. And he'll have a descendant, Yael, or Jael. Comes in, is a J, but in Hebrew, uh, Yael. Uh, and she struck down Sisra uh, the, yeah, through the temple uh, in, with a tent peg, in, in her tent uh, in the days of Barak uh, and uh, Deborah. And, and Barak, uh, well, you know, Yahweh said to, to go. Well, if, if you'll go, then I'll go. <laughs> okay, since, since you, need, uh, you need a woman to go along with you, otherwise you won't go. You know, uh, Yahweh being with you is not enough. Uh, God will give the deliverance through a woman's hand. <laughs> And so here, the, this descendant of this Midianite, Hovav, uh, from Jethro, you know, all the way back, she will give deliverance of this great general who is the general for the king of the Canaanites, uh, Yavin, uh, or Jabin, uh, of the, the Canaanites to the, the north uh, from Hazor, uh, north of the uh, sea, of, sea of Galilee. And so uh, this will come to play throughout. And you'll see foreigners along the way, like we're even talking about, so here you have Midianites at the start, and there's question about what will happen along the way with, with Israel, uh, with these people who go along, along with them, and uh, anyone who feared God, who believed in him, the sojourner, the stranger, the foreigner, was to be treated as a native, as one of their own, with all the rights and privileges of an Israelite. And you'll see that with people, well, even Tamar is in the Davidic line, Tamar with, with Judah. Uh, and you'll see Rahab, Canaanite prostitute, likely a cult prostitute, who fears Yahweh, joins the people of God. Ruth? Or, or uh, Rahab, yeah. Rahab. Yeah, Ruth is another. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so... You have Rahab, who is a Canaanite from, from Jericho, from this wicked people, utterly blot him out. <laughs> but she joined the people of God, and Achan took from the city, and he and his household, in solidarity with him, were destroyed. Uh, they, were, they were stoned to death, and their stuff was burnt uh, along with uh, uh, the people of Jericho, because they were an offspring of evildoers. Uh, they, they were in league with, with the serpent, uh, just like the people who were destroyed, like, like Sodom and Gomorrah uh, and such. And so Rahab is brought in. She's treated as one of their own. And, and Ruth, a Moabitess. And uh, you, you get to the end. I was just reading in Deuteronomy. And there are things. Don't get impatient with the genealogies, with the legal sections. If you start seeing the broad picture and how things fit together, you'll find amazing things. I mean, just stunning. Uh, that they'll weave throughout, and you'll, you'll hear echoes into the Gospels and, and such. Uh, that's amazing. But uh, the, there's someone who is, is maybe someone who is born illegitimately. Uh, they weren't to go uh, into God's tabernacle or temple. Uh, I want to look at you know some of the details of that again, but and so you, you have one case, uh, and then Moab, uh, Moabites and Eg Moabites and Ammonites, descendants of Lot, uh, Moab and Ammon. 
Uh, they were to not enter into his tabernacle, not even after the 10th generation because they didn't uh, greet you and welcome you when you went into the land. And uh, they, they uh, Balak, uh, got Balaam, this false prophet, uh, to uh, deceive you. And so they're not to go into the, the tabernacle, into my, my holy tabernacle. But the Edomites, they're your brothers, you know, from, from Esau. You're related to them. And the Egyptians, you sojourned in their land. After the third generation, they may enter. But you have Ruth, a Moabitess, <laughs> who wants to go with Naomi, even after her sons have died. And no, she'll leave her people. She'll leave them. And she goes in uh, to, to be one of the, the people of God, uh, to, to basically become as a native. And she's in the line of David, too. Uh, the, the line of God's anointed, anointed king. Uh, and so uh, it's quite, quite amazing. And so you see this throughout with the Israelites. There are those who obey, those who rebel. Uh, and so those who rebel on Mount Sinai, uh, Moses says, who's with Yahweh? And the Levites line up and they're to take swords and strike down uh, their brothers, go throughout the camp, those who, who are rebelling and such strike them down, kill them. And so you may have like kind of a division with the sword. Uh, you're to have no mercy upon them in Deuteronomy, it said. You know, if they bring in false gods, false worship that would lead people away from Yahweh uh, to false gods, uh, which leads to uh, bloodshed, rebellion, child sacrifice, you know, all the, all the sins and rebellion and immorality, sexual and otherwise, uh, they were to be put put to death uh, uh, in those those days, and so you'll see what Israel will sometimes rebel, but the Levites didn't. And then, like in Leviticus, uh, Nadav and Abihu, they rebel, and flames of fire consume them. But at the end of Leviticus, there was a son of an Israelite woman and an Egyptian man, and in fighting with the son of an Israelite man, he cursed the name, Hashem, the name. Cursed, cursed God. And so uh, they sat apart, waited for God's instruction. They were to kill him and stone him uh, to death. You shall not curse God or the king. And so he cursed God and he was killed. So you, you have framing these sections, and it's kind of like the Day of Atonement's in the middle of Leviticus, the very heart of it. You have Israelites, in fact, the very sons of the high priest who are to minister with him, they die. But Eliezer and Ithamar give proper sacrifice with, with their father Aaron. But then you have, uh, you have uh, this one who was born to an Egyptian man, Israelite woman. And, he was to be put to death as well. And they were to have one law, you know, for uh, the sojourner, the foreigner, and the Israelite uh, as, as they were believing. Yeah. So, and what is the difference now? I mean, we don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what was it with Jesus Christ? That, is, it, is that what changed at all? I mean, to, as far as... Yeah, well, right, right now, uh, God is, I mean... Ultimately, uh, bl blasphemy uh, is still illegal. Uh, sexual immorality, sin, uh, from 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 God. You know, it doesn't it doesn't matter what what kings or presidents or congresses or dictators. You know what what they establish. God will punish sin, uh, and not just death in this life. You know, God gives life; He can take it. He's, he's free to uh, free to take it, uh, even if we had never sinned. You know, our lives aren't our own. You know, they, they belong to God. And everyone has one life, and they will die. But it seemed you like know. then he was telling them but, to take their lives, stone them, get rid of them, you know. Yeah, but yeah. And, don't see that now. So. Yeah, and uh, so, so now, you know, we, we don't live. Uh, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Uh, we live uh, in an age where people are in rebellion against God, but God in his grace and mercy uh, 
has us go to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And it's actually uh, Christians uh, in many places, many countries throughout history who are persecuted, imprisoned, even killed, you know, struck down by, by the sword to proclaim the gospel, uh, to be faithful uh, to, uh, to Christ. Uh, right now, God is, uh, he has his people in the world that he's saving from every uh, tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And the day is coming when Christ will return and he's going to come in a flame of fire and all his angels and he's going to bring judgment uh, as a, a sword coming out of his mouth. You know, by his very speech, he'll strike people down uh, in, in judgment by his very word. Uh, and so in this age, uh, we don't live uh, in uh, the earthly uh, Israel kingdom of that time, uh, the, the theocracy, uh, and God's heavenly Israel kingdom uh, is, is coming. Uh, and so now uh, we proclaim the, the good news, and, uh, and God, God will save and, and redeem people along the way. But Jesus still said, I, you think that I came to bring peace upon the earth? No, I tell you, but a sword. Uh, to bring division uh, between son and father and daughter and mother, daughter-in-law, mother-in-law. And, and uh, the people of a man's household shall be his, his enemies. He brings division. The gospel brings division. It brings uh, separation. And some of it, I mean, there, there's uh, a certain sort of hyperbole. Uh, in one, if you, if you love father or mother, daughter, you know, more than me, you're not worthy of me. Well, in one, he says, if you don't hate father and mother and uh, daughter and such, and perfect, well, we know we're not even to hate our enemies. So, you know, he's, he's not really saying hate them. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, to, you're to love your enemies, so you're obviously to love your parents, and uh, you're, you're to uh, care for the, the stranger and the sojourner and such. But your love for him has to be such that you hated them. You know, your, your love for Christ, uh, your uh, desire to be pleasing to him, uh, to uh, trust in him, to do his will, to serve him, has to be above uh, your love for, for anyone else uh, what, whatsoever. Uh, and so uh, the gospel still brings, uh, brings division and even echoes some of these passages like in, in Deuteronomy and such. It brings a division oftentimes, you know, God off, he often saves households, you know, uh, over time. Uh, you'll find many times in Acts where the whole household was saved, you know. <laughs> he, he saves people over time. But uh, a lot of times it's not all at once and, and it's, not, it's not promised. And uh, in fact, of, oftentimes someone will be saved and it'll bring... Uh, great division, great tension, because now you serve different gods. You serve different ultimate authorities. You know, you, you, serve, you serve Christ. He's, he's Lord. And, and when it comes down to his commandment or his prohibition, his priorities, and it comes up against anyone else's, a husband, a wife, parents, your, your parents, or if you have children, or your, your countrymen, uh, you have to go, go with Christ. So the, the gospel still brings, uh, brings division uh, and ultimately eternal separation. Uh, and so, yeah, th there's the difference. We, we don't live in the theocracy of Israel under the, the same uh, covenant of those, uh, of those days. And so we preach the, the good news. And now we'll have to see how far we get. Let's go into uh, chapter 11. And we're going to see, this is going to connect back to Moses' office's judge. Uh, we're going to see 70 elders and now God uh, bringing his spirit upon them. And so part of the solution that we we're talking about with this people, you know, to instruct them and righteously 
judge them and such with all their grumbling and, and rebellion. But here it takes a turn where the people are going to start rebelling again. Uh, they're going to start grumbling. They're going to start complaining. Uh, some of the, the foreign uh, people among them who came out of Egypt with them. If you read, when they come out, at least around, it's maybe after chapter 12, but by 14, uh, uh, maybe 13, as they come out, it talks about many peoples who came out with the Israelites uh, along, along the way, you know, Egyptians and, and other people as well. And so uh, you, you see some, some of that, you know, their rebellion and such, but you see the Israelites start to grumble and complain. And so first at uh, uh, Tabera or Tavera, uh, they're going to begin complaining. You'll see judgment, God's fire is going to come down upon them. Uh, and then uh, they'll go to uh, Kivrot Hatava. And there the people are going to complain uh, again. Uh, and the, the Israelites, sons of Israel, are going to uh, join in in the, the complaining, uh, wanting meat to eat. They're going to have a strong desire or craving. And let's just look at the start of this. Uh, but as we work through, we'll even see Moses is going to complain. And, and then the next chapter, we won't get there uh, this week, but uh, Miriam, Miriam and Aaron are going to complain against Moses. And so uh, this is going to go all the way throughout. And following that, they're, gonna, they're supposed to go into the land, but the spies are going to come back, give a bad report, and the people are going to complain. They're going to desire to go back to Egypt. And so uh, it's, it's going to get worse and worse along the way. And where God was, there have been judgments at Sinai now, and uh, where the people worshiped the golden calves. You know, it got, it got so bad, so terrible. And it's amazing that Aaron was spared, that I will not, uh, you know, forgive. I will judge uh, those who, who had, who had re rebelled uh, and uh, worship the calf that Aaron made. He didn't kill Aaron. Now the people went to him, you know, with, with the idea, but Aaron made it. Who worshiped the calf that Aaron made. He should have struck Aaron down right there. You know, the high priest, before he, they even took the contributions for the, the robes and uh, the garments, the priestly garments and such. You know, he should have been struck dead right, right there. But uh, in God's mercy, uh, Moses interceded, called upon God, and he, he forgave. And so here we see uh, the complaining getting worse. And now, unlike the wilderness when they came out of Egypt and went to Sinai, you see God. He provides, you know, but you, you see the people and, you know, God maybe gets angry at them, but he doesn't, he doesn't kill them. Uh, he doesn't uh, judge them right then and there. But now it, it's getting to the point where they've seen too many signs, too much, and the, the unbelief, the rebellion uh, only grows. So, verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of Yahweh about their misfortunes. So kind of a big shift from going out uh, from, from the rest of Numbers, you know, positive, going along the way. Uh, Moses crying out, uh, Arise, O Yahweh, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. Uh, return, o, o Yahweh, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. And the people complained in the hearing of Yahweh about their misfortunes. Oh, they have it bad. And when Yahweh heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of Yahweh burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to Yahweh, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was Taberah, because the fire of Yahweh burned among them. And so this is... Uh, one said, we have the pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night to warm them, to give them shelter, shade, heat at night. Now fire comes down and consumes some of the outlying parts of the camps, just like Nadav and Abihu. Uh, for for their, their rebellion and complaining. And uh, Taberah 
has to do with uh, burning. Um, even when it talks about, let's see, at the end of verse 1, vativar bam esh Yahweh, vativar, and burned the, the flame of Yahweh. The flame of Yahweh burned vativar tabira. And uh, same, uh, same uh, words and basic uh, spelling uh, along, along the way. And uh, burn them. And so uh, we see, you know, uh, this, this turn, but do the people, they call upon Moses and he, he intercedes. You know, you see that again and again. We, we've already seen that from him. But look at the next verse. So now we get a new scene. Um, or just verse 3 again. So the name of that place was Taberah because the fire of Yahweh burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept uh, again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. Wow! It's the very next location along the way. And usually, we'll see, we'll, we'll touch on more, but especially when it says encamped, but they traveled three days. And so after the Passover, after the feast of, uh, uh, or is the, the 20th, uh, in the, the last chapter, talked about how, uh, in the, the one preceding, then the 20th, they, they set out, they traveled three days, 23rd. And usually when they get to each next place along the way, a day passes unless it speaks of more days passing. And so uh, three days, four days, now we're probably on the fifth day. In fact, by the end, we might see that their sin may cross on to the Sabbath, uh, which you, you find in some of their previous rebellion in the, uh, the, the wilderness with the, the manna uh, and, and elsewhere. You find that like in Judges too. Uh, even with the the man where there's a priest staying at a man's house in Judges 19 and uh, he had taken the I don't know what a Levite was doing with a concubine mm -hmm. but he, he has he has a, a concubine and the man wants him to stay to stay to stay <laughs> stay and then the next okay next day you can go the next day was the Sabbath and so the man left like on the on the uh, I guess it'd be our like Friday, you know, uh, evening, you know, before the Sabbath, and that's getting dark as he's going into the the, the town. Uh, even the man walking in from from work may indicate that although that man tries to help him of the Benjaminites, uh, don't stay in the town, you know, like in Sodom and Gomorrah, that coming in during the the night, you know, he he might have he might have been working on the Sabbath, you know. It's a little unclear, but Judges is a book that everything is upside down. Everything is not as it should be. You know, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did was right in their own eyes. In fact, uh, two more connections. Uh, Moses' sons, at least through Gershom, in Judges it says that uh, his uh, descendant, like a son from Gershom or his son, uh, was a uh, priest for the Danites all the way until the exile. False priesthood for the Danites, giving false sacrifice. And you get to, you get to that, uh, the end of Judges, and Phinehas is there uh, calling upon Yahweh what they should do uh, concerning like the Benjaminites and such. And it's Phinehas through whom the covenant was made and through whom Zadok will later come uh, in David and Solomon's days and be appointed with the, the temple. And so you have these amazing connections uh, along, along the way. And so uh, the people go from, from one rebellion uh, to, to, to another. So now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. So they had like a gluttonous uh, desire. Here, well, welcome. Thanks. Does he think I have a name tag? Yeah, that's how I 
I knew it was Eric. <laughs> Guess I don't need a vision test anytime soon. <laughs> Saw it from a mile away. So, you know, from grumbling to grumbling, now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. Uh, the people of Israel, just glance at uh, Hebrew, and some have like, you know, riffraff rabble. And so you have this, you know, group of uh, people, uh, various people. Uh, and they, Turned and cried. Uh, also Israel. And so also, also the sons of Israel cried. So it probably shows that the first group in mind isn't necessarily Israelites, but maybe some of the Egyptians, or the various uh, multitudes and peoples that came out uh, with them out of Egypt. But Israel joins right in, the sons of Israel. And so now the rabble that was among them had a, strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept. Uh, and we're kind of seeing, you know, with, with Hovav and the Israelites, will they believe, you know, will they follow and, and walk in Yahweh's way? And so uh, their strong craving and the people of Israel also wept <laughs> uh, and said, oh, that we had meat to eat, uh, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Yeah, so it's really bad. They're driven by their strong craving, their desire, their gluttonous passions, uh, not even thinking of God, but just following these, these sinful passions and desires, kind of like Cain. Uh, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. You must master it. Otherwise, it will master you. Um, you think that sinful passions, well, maybe if I just, uh, maybe if just this once, you know, you just uh, indulge in this one sin, this, this one desire, this one time, you know, uh, you'll be satisfied and, uh, and never more. No, no. It, it, uh, the sinful passions and the, the cravings of sinful fallen man are never satisfied. Uh, and if they'll have your will uh, over you one time, they'll have it again and again and again and again. Uh, Never satisfied. The people are never satisfied. Uh, they are never content. And so uh, they sin and sin and sin. Uh, and the people of Israel also wept and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. Now they do have meat. In fact, uh, they had a quail in, uh, the, in the evening and they had the man in the morning. Uh, that was in Exodus 16, in, in the, the wilderness. And so they did have meat to eat. Uh, but they elaborate. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt for nothing. The fish we ate in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. All these things were things that would grow in Egypt, in the rich area of Goshen in which uh, which they they lived, and so it just elaborates and builds on it from from fish, from the meat uh, that, that that we ate in Egypt for nothing, nothing. It was free, you know. It cost us nothing. What happened to the whole, you know, being enslaved servants of Pharaoh, their hard taskmasters, who even killed their males who were born uh, and infanticide, throwing them in the Nile uh, and exposing them and murdering them uh, and the, the hard service uh, that they put upon them. We ate for free in Egypt, you know? Uh, didn't have to do anything and, and we ate. Yeah, Eric. You know, I, I used to judge the Israelites. I, you know, I used to kind of think, you know, ah, you know, look at those. They, got, they had God in front of them and a pillar of fire and a cloud and, and miraculous signs. And that 
verse that says when you man judge, every day yeah you're actually judging you remember that verse that says when you judge mm -hmm. you're actually judging yourself because you do the same well you know I, when I started realizing you know I, you know God said no temptation has seized me or in the the measure that you judge okay yeah but you know no temptation sees you beyond what is common to man and here mm -hmm. I have God's grace he saved me he's and I still think well look at you know I used to you know live this way I used to you know hang around these people mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. exciting that was and you know, oh maybe I'll go and it's just like it's just as wicked as the Israelites because we have greater revelation we have greater manna, the true bread. The tr yeah, amen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, the issue there, when he's talking about like in the measure that you judge, it'll be measured back to you. Yeah. The issue is judge with righteous judgment and not, not hypocritical judgment, not self-righteous judgment. You know, uh, first consider yourself, remove the log out of your own eye, then help your brother. Yeah, help, help your brother. Uh, but not in a self-righteous, hypocritical fashion. Um, boy, they're, they're doing this, you know, when you're doing that, you know. Uh, and so you, you got to test yourself first so that we don't self-righteously, hypocritically judge, but we are to recognize and call sin, sin, you know, and such, and uh, seek to help our brothers and not, not uh, hurt them or, or think that we're, we're better and like superior uh, to, to them. And yeah, I, I know exactly what, what you're talking about. It's easy to become angry or be like, you know, pe people out there, they're just so rebellious and what people in culture are doing, they're so evil. Why are they doing this? You know, uh, it's insane. And so I just, it's like, yeah, it is, but that's, that's all our sin. You know, it's, it's rebellion against uh, the one who's, who, who's ultimate reality, the one who ultimately exists and is the very standard and source for all truth, goodness, and beauty. And so, uh, oh, that we had meat to eat. And they remember their time in Egypt. It's like it, it was just a little over a year ago. And they, they forget their long, hard service in Egypt, which was much longer than since their deliverance and salvation. Uh, but now our strength uh, is, is dried up. And some have, in some cases, it's kind of rare, uh, where some lexicons and such have even throat. Our throat is dry. It can have to do with uh, uh, the passageway for like air and food and such like that. Uh, oftentimes it's used for one's life uh, and so you kind of have this connection with life that uh, developed uh, with uh, the word and so it would be their, their throats are dry but also along with their, their passions or maybe their, their lives you know as far as uh, sustaining uh, with, uh, with this as they say uh, there is nothing at all uh, but this manna to look at Verse 6, uh, there is nothing at all except uh, the manna of our eyes, you know, be, before our eyes that, that, we see, that we see, you know, that's it. And now actually, they did have the meat in the evenings, <laughs> and we're going to see that. You know, uh, there, there's some of this where, there's some things people try and like reconcile and well, uh, how, how do we reconcile this? You know, if they're giving the quail here and such and, you know, and maybe it's summarized before some of these things, but well, as you're reading along, the, the, the narrator is very intentional how these things are phrased. You, you should know that they have, they have the man in the mornings, they have the quail in the evenings. And so uh, there is nothing at all but this manna to look at you know that's not entirely true. And, but they're like, we, we want fish, we want, you know, all this other stuff. They're not content with what God has uh, provided. Uh, and so, yeah, this uh, dry, dusty, stale 
manna from heaven. Uh, now, uh, there's, there's a pause. So we're waiting for, for the reaction. Is God going to bring fire down upon the sons of Israel and all this riffraff, this mixed multitude? Is he going to blot them out and destroy them? Oh, there, there's a little pause. And we've talked about narrative before. Uh, the big question that drives the narrative forward is what happened. It's the events that drive the narrative forward. It goes somewhere. But he stops telling us what happened to give us a little background information, a little context to understand what's happening here and what's going to follow. And it also gives a delay to build up suspense about the, the important things that are going to happen after this, uh, God's reaction. And so let's just read this last part and then uh, we'll have to close to leave it last comments or questions and then we'll uh, continue next time, Lord willing. And so verse 7, he's going to, narrator, he's going to tell us, Moses is going to tell us a little about the, the manna. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance uh, like that of bedelium. Other people went up bowed and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. Uh, when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, uh, the manna fell with it. Uh, Moses heard the people uh, weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. Uh, and the anger of Yahweh blazed hotly. And so you, you have this pause that just speaks about the, uh, the manna, kind of its uh, substance, its texture, its appearance, its taste, uh, coriander seed and uh, bedellium, maybe kind of white and orangish, yellowish, and bedellium kind of like a resin, maybe kind of like a sap and such that come like from a, a tree uh, that would be... Uh, tasty and uh, nice scent and spice and uh, aromatic uh, sweet. Uh, the people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. Uh, and the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. And as uh, one commentator pointed out, uh, really the, the oil here, uh, end of verse 8, Tom, uh, as the taste, uh, le, le shad hashaman, hashaman oil, uh, le shad. This is the the richest, best part of the oil, as they first process it and mash it uh, to bring the oil forth from the the olives. And so it's the the richest, you know, uh, creamiest part, and. Uh, in, in any any uh, chef, you know, uh, uh, culinary school and such, uh, this this would uh, have the, the highest <laughs> rating. This this is manna from heaven, you know, straight from God, uh, the very creator of all all food. And so uh, they don't have it hard. They don't have dry, crusty manna uh, along along the way. So, any last uh, comments, questions? Yeah, yeah. I think because just the manna, the clear supernatural, well, I mean, supernatural provision, obviously, like with the, with the quail, but the manna, as far as like the miracle with the dew, you know, every morning and twice as much uh, before the last day, you know, in preparation for the Sabbath, uh, you, you clearly have this provision this bread from heaven, something that was so utterly unique. I mean, there are things he's trying to like compare it to and such, but, and that lasted all throughout the wilderness until after like the, the Passover and such, and uh, maybe unleavened bread, but they're circumcised. You have the Passover and, uh, as they go into the land uh, after the 40 years in the wilderness with Joshua and it ceases, you know, never, never again. And so 
I, th I think that's probably, you know, there's something about manna, you know, what is it? Mahu, who, it, mahu, what is it? What it? So they called it man. Sounds kind of like ma. Uh, what, what is this? You know, it's something, something unique from God, from heaven. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, there's something unique about that, uh, that, that provision. And then Christ, who comes down from, from heaven. You know, I was just thinking when uh, we go through you know, discipline or trials, or, and God is always enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, so he always, he knows he can, the Lord said he was just how he can relate to us because he's been tempted in every way. And I mean, you, think, you, know, sin, you said yeah. that, you know, the double dose on, you know, whatever their Friday, I guess, so they could have it on Sunday, their Sabbath day. It's like, you know, he, he always provides enough. And that's, you know, even in the Lord's Prayer, he's drawing those things from like Deuteronomy, uh, that he gave them the manna so that you would learn to live. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. God said he'd provide it. He will. And so to learn to trust and praying for daily or bread for our subsistence for the day, you know, for, for the provision day by day to pray God would provide, not praying, oh God, if you just give me, you know, a year's supply of bread, or, you know, 10 years, just give me a life supply right now. You know, that'd be great. You know, I'll trust you then, you know, because I'll have a life supply. I won't have to worry, you know. No, he, he, so he's drawn from, you know, this in his, his very prayer, drawn on these lessons. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to this uh, next time. And uh, we'll, we'll also see uh, Moses and Irene and Miriam, the, the grumbling and Moses' uh, judge and prophet among them. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for our time together and uh, for for your provision, uh, for your faithfulness, uh, for, for this stubborn, stiff-necked, rebellious people uh, that you even, you didn't utterly blot them out, but you gave forgiveness, uh, you preserved them, uh, you preserved uh, believers in your midst by your spirit and you provided for them. And I pray that we wouldn't be ungrateful and uh, we wouldn't be desiring uh, what and grumbling for for what we don't have but that we would trust you that we would our hope would be in you and in your son and that we call upon you and that we would be uh, content and grateful for all that you've provided uh, in and through him and uh, we thank you for all these things and uh, pray that uh, your name and his name would be glorified forever amen